She grabbed the kettle, set it back on the cooling burner, and limped back to the clinic. Her husband had propped the injured man on his side. Keep the wound above the heart, she recalled her husband once saying. With the man now facing the wall, she could see that what had been just a black knot in his chest was an angry, ragged tear in his back. Her husband had snipped open the jacket around the wound, and the petals of ripped and stained cloth hung limply. The wad of rags that had been stuffed against the bleeding was already soaked, and her husband took a thick fold of fresh gauze and pressed it against the old bandage. The blood seeped through quickly, flowering against the white. The man's eyes were closed, his lips blue. She was sure he was already dead. She noted the spent syringe, one last drop of liquid swelling at the tip, discarded on the tray beside the bed. He was shot in front of the governor general's, the other man offered. Even without the worried twist in his eyebrows, he had a maudlin face, heavy-jowled and droopy-eyed. She realized that the splotches on his hands, which she first took to be freckles, were dried blood. Why? She still had not left the comforting rigidity of the doorway, where post pressed to spine. She could flee easily into the kitchen and shut the door, and exist again in a world where life, throbbing and churning inside her, was primary. Her husband hushed them. His fingers curled delicately over the man's wrist. His nostrils flared once, quickly, the only indication of what he'd learned. What good did it do to be so impassive, she wondered, then immediately reminded herself that a cool head, aloof even, was a doctor's talent. The bullet has broken into pieces, he said. The man in the corner groaned like a cat, then fell silent. She couldn't help feeling that giving birth seemed almost an indiscretion at this moment. Quietly, without alarm, she told her husband that she was going to have Aji fetch the midwife. Her pregnancy registered on the face of the man in the corner, and fear lit up his eyes. Your daughter? No, I'll go. They are shooting in the streets. Her bones were widening, the baby insisting. She couldn't fit his words together. Who is shooting in the streets? He told her of the widow in the park, the morning's protests, the banners hung with the call for the mainland pigs to return to China. Then the shootings at the railway station and in front of the governor general's, where he'd been with his friend, this man who lay propped like a straw dummy in the mise-en-scene. It was inevitable, her husband said softly. Yes, she silently agreed. She thought of the slimmer and slimmer offerings in the market since the Japanese had left two years before, and how self-conscious she felt strolling past the wary gaze of the Chinese nationalist soldiers. She had felt the tension of the city in her own body. Her purse pulled close, her shoulders raised, her eyes averted. Her husband wedged rolled towels beneath the man's shoulder to brace him. She could barely see the rise and fall of the man's chest. I'll go for the midwife, the injured man's friend said again, as if the errand was the only payment he could offer. Li Min saw how anxious he was to leave, 
and she wondered if he would return. Her husband gave him the address, and the man slipped out. Grimacing and impatient, she waited upstairs on her bed. The man still had not returned, and it was already afternoon. Finally, her husband appeared, his hands scrubbed and pink, but she swore she saw the injured man's blood dried, rusty, under his fingernails. Wash your hands, she said. She hoped her panic came off as annoyance. He nodded dismissively and pulled a chair to the foot of the bed. Where is he? she asked. I think, he said, that we are on our own. So let's move ahead. He was sure she saw the effort in his words. His confidence was half-hearted. He did not tell her that he had not planned for this, that he had been downstairs, in the clinic, thumbing through.